0: Brothers and sisters, today we're going to dig into God's word here in worship uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me there. Uh, we'll be verses, reading verses 12 and then almost to the end of the chapter in verse 22. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along with the words on the screen as we together hear the word of the Lord. Now King David was told the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Wearing a, a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sa- and the sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his Servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held In honor. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing, so we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Almighty God, to you all hearts are open and all desires are known. From you no secrets are hidden. And so we come before you this day, ready to surrender our all to you. It starts by us hearing from your word. Lord, we're so thankful for your word, for the wisdom that's contained therein. I ask, O God, that you would now move in this space powerfully, that you would open our eyes, that we would see, our ears, that we would hear, open our minds, that we would come to know and understand your word, open our hearts, that we would feel its power. Then I ask, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would... In response, offer grace to the world. We lift up these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what do you remember from your big day? Now, at first, you might be wondering, what big day are you talking about, Pastor Jason? And then it sinks in for a second because you realize that the colloquial version of your big day was likely your wedding, What do you remember from your wedding? What do you remember from your big day? Do you remember what you were wearing? Maybe it's even stashed away in the back of some closet or some attic trunk still yet today. Do you remember what you were wearing? Did you have something incredibly tacky? Uh, Can you not believe today that you wore that color tuxedo at your wedding? What were you wearing? Do you remember what you ate? I remember what I ate. My groomsmen and I went to Taco Bell on our way to the church. That's ridiculous and disgusting, but it's a part of my big day. I remember it. I also remember on my big day, there was, there was this moment in time that I advised no family, no, no bride and groom to ever replicate. You see, they brought the groomsmen up to the sanctuary to take pictures with my beautiful bride. And I was left in the nursery rooms of Elmwood United Methodist Church in Oak Cliff in Dallas by myself for like 30 minutes I was a nervous wreck and just walked around singing Amazing Grace by memory, uh, thinking that that was what I needed. Um, What do you remember from your big day? Whenever I enter into to marriage counseling with a couple, uh, the first time we gather together, I hear all the, all the, the details of how they fell in love and, and where they met and how they were engaged. And then we get into the details of the actual service. And, and I want to know how many bridesmaids and groomsmen they'll have. I want to know, uh, uh, I wanna know the, the, the order of service, if there's a particular scripture that that's their heart song. I want to know if they are going to have a, a flower girl or a ring bearer. We're going to work through some of those details. And one of the questions I ask is, how many people do you expect? Some of that's just context. Some of that's like, I'd like to know if it's going to be an intimate, small family gathering, if it's going to be a big blowout bash. I want to know. But, but I also, more specifically, am anxious to look out upon uh, the bride and the groom as I ask that question to see what is working in the backdrop because sometimes they look at one another and they'll smirk. Sometimes they look at one another and they'll frown. Uh, and, and, you, and you get a, a glimpse into the conversations that have been taking place. You know, one might say, well, we were thinking it would be a smaller kind of intimate, only immediate family wedding, but now we're inviting 350 people. Um, and sometimes you'll hear like, well, we started with an inv- invitation list of 400 people, but we're going to pare it down to about 175. Right? You hear all of this conversation and what I find in that moment is is an opportunity for some, some pastoral uh, care uh, for this bride and groom, and one of the things I ask them is: in one of those most important days of your life, when something truly extraordinary happens, who do you wish was there, or who do you who do you want to be there? Who do you want to share the extraordinary with? And I just invite us to think about how extraordinary it is that we get to worship God. And look around for a moment and realize what a blessing it is that we get to worship God together. I mean, that's that's no, no, no trite or trivial thing. Think about it. We get to worship God, the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. We gather together as the people of God for worship. And when we gather for worship, we don't gather uh, alone. We, we gather with one another. And it's a beautiful, profound thing. And we could see in this scripture today, the contrast, the contrast between those that are a part of that worship life and those that are on the outside of it. We have these two contrasting perspectives. We have McCall, the wife. So we have the slave girls. The slave girls uh, understand that that this is a big day and it is a big day indeed. I mean for David and for the people of Israel this is a tremendous day. Uh, David has uh, been anointed as king and then uh, has been established as king not just uh, of the south of Judah but also of the north of Israel and all together he is now king of, of the restored nation of Israel. God's People uh, That they entered into the promised land. The tribes were dispersed uh, throughout the land. But they all received the promise. And now they're bound back together in David's reign. And and whenever that takes place, David is is a wise ruler and decides that if I'm going to lead this people, I I need to consider where I'm going to establish uh, the political capital of my kingdom. I'm both the king of the south and the north. Uh, do I uh, use a political capital that was once used by the north or the south? Do I go to the far reaches of the kingdom? Or he chooses instead to establish Jerusalem, which is almost on the border between the north and the south. Do I choose Jerusalem as my political capital? He does. And he, he, he sets up Jerusalem as this center for his reign for, for, for authority and for power, but he knows that that's not enough. It's not just about his authority. It's about the authority that God has given to him to, to lead and steward the people of Israel. And so he wants to not only establish a political capital, he wants to establish a spiritual capital, a religious reign, and so uh, in order to do this, he wants to restore the Ark of the Covenant of God, which was uh, given to the people of God in the wilderness, which led the people of God out of the wilderness and into the promised land, which led them uh, uh, in situations of famine, and situations of disease, and then led them in situations of war uh, into victory. And then as the, the promised land was, was now theirs, the Ark of the Covenant rested and and it no longer had the same in the presence of the people existence so David decided I am going to bring the ark of the covenant of God to Jerusalem and and there are some some road bumps along the way as they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem or towards Jerusalem they're not using the full prescription of what the Torah, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, what, what the law says they're to do by way of, of, of protecting it and caring for it. And so it jostles as it is on the way. And someone reaches out to make sure that it doesn't fall. And as they reach it, they're doing something they're not supposed to do. They touch the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so in touching it, that person dies. And David is deflated and he, uh, he's discouraged. And in that discouragement, he lets the Ark rest again. And not enter into Jerusalem. And it rests in the home, as we heard at the beginning of this passage, in the home of Obed-Edom. But David is attentive. He's waiting. He's considering what is the right next step. And is there a response that would be required? And so when we get to verse 12, we hear... This report that David receives back, it says, King David was told that the Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and everything he has because of the Ark of God. Now, this is a this is a sign for David, a, a, a substantial sign that the day has come. He thought that the day had once arrived, but n- now he knows that he had made some mistakes along the way and he needed to take this moment, this report, that blessing had come with the Ark of the Covenant of God upon the household of Obed-Edom, and he was going to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city, the holy city that was made holy by the presence of God entering into it. So that's where we find ourselves. This is a big day. It's a huge day. I mean, still today, we take pilgrimage uh, to Jerusalem, to the holy city. Uh, not just us as Christians, but Jews as well. We, we, We enter into this holy city, but it is established as a holy city on this very day. Did you see that? They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God in, and it's a big deal, not just for David, but for all of God's people. And it says that the Lord's people... All gathered together and they were a part of this massive worship procession, praising God, offering sacrifices, leaping and dancing and offering their whole selves to God. And you have this contrast that sits in the middle of it. You have slave or servant girls uh, in the midst of the worship, leaping and dancing and praising alongside of David. And then you have Michal that is not in the midst of the worship that stands outside of the worship and lays just Judgment upon the worship from the window above. Did you see that? One that is outside in the window above, and one that is in the midst of the worship. And whenever the, the, the worship has, has taken place. David goes back to his household, and, and he's, he's still full of the spirit, and he's full of the rejoicing of the, of the celebration of this big day, of this day of worship, and all that's taking place not just in him, but also in the people that he was worshiping with. And he enters into his household, and it says he goes there with blessing. He's going to bless his household. And as soon as he walks in, he is confronted, and his spirit of blessing is met with a spirit of rejection. And Mikal tells him in this sassy, sarcastic tone that I'm sure none of you have ever heard from your spouse ever, ever before. <laughs> how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. Going around half naked in full view of the slave girls. Of his servants, as any fellow, vul, as any vulgar fellow would. She lays it on something thick. And she says, You were no king today. You didn't dress like a king, you didn't talk like a king, you didn't act like a king. There was nothing about what you did today that looked like you were King David. And I love how, how the, the word of God uh, shows that something has tr- changed and transformed in, in the very uh, nature of who McCall is. It, it labels McCall every time in this passage her name comes up. It labels her as the daughter of Saul. Not the wife of David. The wife of David... One who who was seeking after the Lord as he was seeking after the Lord would have been in the midst of the worship with him. She wasn't in the worship. She was judging the worship. And so from that window, she saw it and laid judgment. When he came in, she laid in thick. And he is clear to her that these slave girls... These slave girls will have honor for me for what I have done today. And he knows that for a fact, not because he asked them, not because he had conversation with them, but because he worshiped with them. And whenever he worshiped with them, it was so potent. And God was so fully known and so fully praised that from that place he could say, They will be, they they will hold me and what has taken place with honor while you lay in judgment. Two different perspectives. He can also say that because he knows the heart behind every act that was made that day. David was worshiping not so that he could be worshiped or so that he could be praised. But every single thing he did was for the Lord, before the Lord, or in the name of the Lord. From what he wore to the posture of his external expression of worship to the ways in which he blessed and sacrificed, everything was for the Lord. It it made clear to us in Scripture each time we got to one of those portions. In verse 14, it says he's wearing a linen ephod and he's dancing before the Lord with all his might. His clothes are put on before the Lord. You know, he's not wearing a purple, loose-fitting garment of a king that is draped and robed and stately. No, he's wearing a priestly garment that's rather tight-fitting and shows more than, 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 than his kingly robe would have. And there in that space, he put on a different garment, not so others would put him in a position of esteem, but so that it would be done for the Lord. What are you wearing today? You look around the room and you might see some slides and some flip-flops, some dress shoes, but you'll see some sport coats as well. Maybe. I don't, I didn't. In the first service, we had a tie and I was loving it because it was helping me out, right? <laughs> the question is, is what you're wearing for the Lord if you're dressing up or dressing down, if you're uh, wondering uh, whenever you walk into a place of worship if you are appropriately garbed for the people that are there, pff, we're missing the boat altogether. What you wear to worship has nothing to do with the other people, it has everything to do with God. Because our worship is for God, including even what we wear. It's for God. No one else. If you're dressing more humbly in order to connect to the humility that you are betraying before the Lord to say that you are more honorable, to God be the glory. If you are dressing in a more formal uh, posture, not only because that's how you were raised, but because you feel what it means to, to be more stately and more adorned so that you can acknowledge the adornment that is there for God, to God be the glory. We don't do these things for someone on the outside. We do it for those that are worshiping. And here's the deal. Sometimes we act as though those who are in the worship are McCall standing on the outside judging. That's not the case. When we worship, there are no McCalls here in this space. All of us together are directing our worship to God. Then... What takes place next? It says in verse 16 that, that at the end of that verse that King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. He wasn't dancing to show off that he had learned some new dance moves. He didn't take a class and he wanted to be sure everybody knew it. it he, he, he was leaping and dancing as his act of worship the posture of his body was worship, and I tell you what sometimes we do not know what to do with our bodies in worship some of us we we wonder am I supposed to 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 is this the acceptable raising of hands or is this the acceptable or is this the acceptable raising of hands or is this the acceptable raising like what are we to do with our hands in worship what are we to do with our bodies in worship are we to be lutherans and be very very still and stately oh no i just i even rocked i can't even stop rocking you know just tighten it up people tighten it up or or are are we charismatic evangelicals and there's like a, a a full jump and everybody online just got dizzy because i just jumped on the camera right uh What are we supposed to do with our bodies? Leaping and dancing, it says David did. Well, here's the key it's not for anyone else, it's not even for you. It's for the Lord. And if it's for the Lord, then it's a holy act of worship. Well, it says also that, that the activities of worship, the, the, the order of the worship, that taking six steps and then creating and then offering a sacrifice, all of that. And furthermore, in verse 18, the, the, the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, and the blessing of the people, offerings, sacrifices, blessings, are all done in the name of the Lord Almighty. And David was clear about all of these things. It wasn't as though uh, some outsider recorded this account of what took place. David, in his conversation with Macaul, whenever she laid judgment upon him, he also was clear about it. Because when when he responded to her, he said in verse twenty one, "All of this it was done before the Lord." And then at the end of verse twenty one. He says, I will celebrate all the more before the Lord. He knew that his worship was before the Lord. This last Wednesday, we were in Foundations. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a gathering of believers that are wanting to dig into God's Word and know the Lord more. I invite you to come and be a part of what takes place on Wednesdays at Foundations. And I was able to, to be in just a portion of it, but the portion of it really blessed my life because it, it opened my eyes to something that I had missed. Uh, and we were studying, uh, and Alyssa was teaching that there are seven biblical Uh, postures of worship or, or types of worship because seven different Hebrew or Greek words are used for worship throughout scripture. And here are the seven different ways in which worship is depicted in scripture. The extending of hands as worship, to rave foolishly, come on, To make music, not to to receive the making of music, but to make music, specifically with strings and cymbals, right? And so uh, maybe we need more people up here. But for all of us, when we sing, we're making music and we're participating in that way. To sacrifice, to sacrifice as worship to engage in spontaneous song. Maybe some of us need to write some songs. Maybe we need to take our prayer journals and turn them into poetry for the Lord. Maybe we need to take a a note from David and consider the Psalms and and understand that the Psalms are songs And, and it was his heart poured out to the Lord and in those Psalms, we can take a modeling and you can offer songs to the Lord to kneel and to shout. Shout, not just ah but to burst out with loud voice praise to God. And as we were studying those, we were challenging one another to to consider how how these have been unlocked in our worship, how we've experienced that in our worship, and if there are some ways in which we need to challenge ourselves to experience something fresh or new in worship because these are biblical accounts of what worship looks like. And I was just like blown away with this and I was struck by by a connection that that I had missed. One of the postures of worship that, that... that I have found deeply connecting for me to the Lord is the posture of kneeling. Now, I have not knelt in corporate worship before, but when we have worship nights, I'll often be found kneeling either over the baptismal or over here at the altar, finding a place to spend time worshiping and kneeling. But I didn't realize that there was a long period of my life where I was deeply disconnected from any worship that aligned with kneeling. You see, it was uh, about five years ago, or in the first service I said four, but as I've been resting with it, I think it's five, maybe even six years ago, Covenant was still worshiping over at Timber Creek Elementary. And uh, while, we were, while we were in worship, I just got done preaching the sermon. I went and I sat down in the front row with my family, and, I, and uh, my phone buzzed like right when I sat down. And I had gotten a text message. And it had come from one of my Covenant brothers, uh, Uh, Daniel Irving, who was the pastor at the Journey Campus at Memorial Drive Methodist Church. And here's what the text message said to our covenant group. It said, active shooter on campus, please pray. And it was to myself and my covenant brothers that we meet together and pray together. So as soon as I saw it, I immediately got back up and I walked up the the, the steps to the stage. I interrupted the song that was playing. And uh, I I share with the church that that call to prayer, active shooter on campus, please pray. And we just stopped everything that was doing. Our agendas were laid aside. our, Our worship order was laid aside. And we just spent... As long as the Spirit led us to praying. And there was some music playing in the background. I went back to my seat and 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 I just bent over and was crying out to the Lord for my friend Daniel, for the people of God at the journey, for for all of our brothers and sisters that laid in fear for for, for whatever was going on in that uh, in that shooter's life, that he would have his eyes open to understand that this wasn't. The way. And, and, and so I was crying out to the Lord and I was weeping, I was sobbing, and I, I looked around, and in that moment, I saw that every single person there was crying out to God. The whole body of believers was, were, were bound together in prayer. And I looked up on the platform and I saw this, this young kid that I barely knew. Who had been a part of our worship team for for maybe a few months or so. Uh, his name was Zach Anderson, and he was up on the platform. And while I was praying and weeping and sobbing, he had been bent over, prostrate before the Lord, kneeling in worship and just crying out to God, saying, Lord, protect your people, Lord, have mercy. Lord, pour out your spirit of grace and mercy. You are able. You are powerful. You are sovereign. You are Lord. Lord, come, Holy Spirit. Give a spirit of comfort and of peace and of presence to your people at the journey. Lord, you are able. And as I saw him praying, I'll never forget what took place in me as I was reconnected with a posture of worship that I had long forgotten or neglected. You see, whenever I was called to ministry as a teenager, as a teenager, I was uh, at a at a church worshiping with other believers, and as the Holy Spirit came upon me and told me I was called to preach the good news of Jesus, I was called crippled, paralyzed, my knees buckled beneath me and I was was, was worshipping the Lord on bended knee and I hadn't worshipped God on bended knee except for at kneelers after communion or other rare occurrences and so in that way observing someone else's worship unlocked an element of worship in me. Rather than me looking upon someone else's worship, from the outside looking in, we were bound to one another in worship, so I was not full of judgment, I wasn't full of embarrassment, I wasn't full of critique, I wasn't questioning. Rather, I looked upon it and gave praise to God. So the right question for us this day might be, might be, what do we think is undignified or humiliating? Obviously, McCall thought David, from the outside looking in, was being undignified or was humiliating himself. What do we what do we think is undignified or humiliating? Maybe we should, should should lean in, press in, and and if it involves if it involves leaping or dancing or singing or being still, as long as it's for the glory of God, as long as we do it before the Lord, it will be to His honor, and it's not for ourselves. We don't we don't stretch ourselves. We we don't move into something that's more undignified. We don't uh, we don't we don't have concern about whether or not we're being humiliated because what we do isn't for us in the first place, and it's not for anyone else in the second place. It is only, only for the Lord. And so this is our worship today and every day. This is our worship every time we gather. It's a worship of reverence, but reverence does not mean restricted or constrained, and it absolutely does not mean judgmental. Worship means freedom in the Spirit of God, to give Him glory. Let that be our posture this day and every day as we worship God. Let's pray together. Lord, you are sovereign and you are able. You are able to move within us and amongst us. And so, Lord, if we have built up any barriers or boundaries that would constrain or restrict our worship in ways that you have not designed, Lord, be glorified in those being torn down. Lord, grant us uh, a clarity, a vision, and a purpose in our worship that we would reverently offer our whole selves to you for your glory. Lord, I'm thankful for the way in which you have uh, bound us together by your spirit in worship this day, and I ask, O God, that that you would continue to move in our midst so that what took place here this morning isn't, isn't simply for, uh, for, for this hour or for this time together, but Lord, that it extends out into our lives as a testimony and witness to what you're accomplishing in us. We pray this, oh God, in Jesus' name.